Hey everybody, welcome to Surface Level, curious conversations about the Black and queer experience. I'm one of your hosts, Jordan, and today, Tony, Damon, and I are discussing our journeys with mental health. What personal experience have prompted our mental health journeys? How do we prioritize mental health in a world that demands so much? This is Losing My Mind. You better mm. catch it. Catch what? Your mind. Catch up with <laughs> oh, I was about to say, catch that tea. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, you must have just lost your mind. Oh, bring that Beyonce song oh. back out the grave. What song is that? You must have just lost your mind. One of the deep cuts, but you know, it, oh, came, out, it came out before oh, that we a, a graduated deep. college. Yeah. Like, And they used to play it at the clubs all the time every weekend it's a bot when we first Don't moved to her. new york certified she you know we'll play it after the show certified <laughs> we'll certified certified bop <laughs> so today i'm really excited you guys because we're gonna welcome someone that we actually first came across on social media where he's consistently arming our community with information nuggets and his lived experience as it relates to our well-being when we talk about people who are doing the work He is the epitome of exactly that. So today we have the privilege of welcoming mental health advocate and senior press secretary at the Human Rights Campaign, Jared Denzel Keller, to our surface level family. Oh, what, I can talk now? Or (laughs) (laughs) You're on. Okay. Yeah. That is such a sweet introduction. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you know, we we make it nice around here. We try to. Make Make it it nice. Try to make it nice. Listen, we try to be one with the earth. So we are a part of the Earth segment of Earth, Wind, and Fire right now. Okay, that's what our uh, that's what our season is thematically, um, you know, it's giving focused on. Yeah. Um, and so because we are officially in Pride Month, okay, I thought it would be really interesting for us to ground ourselves with a little black and queer trivia. I was like, is she about to go the trivia route? I am going to go the trivia route. She said, I don't route. have to answer the question, so I'm going to do exactly. it. <laughs> I offer the question. Like, pri- in Pride Month, I don't know if I want to ground myself. You don't want. I don't want to be grounded. What do you want? That sounds like I'm on punishment. Oh, you may punishment Maybe you like ain't to bad. Be punished. Oh, punishment exactly. ain't bad. Exactly. Spank me. <laughs> don't exactly. tell well, me ahead. with a good time. <laughs> All right. Don't look in my eyes. Don't look in my eyes. See how the girls get nasty That's real how you quick. Get folded up immediately. <laughs> it don't take. It don't take nothing. All right. <clears throat> Clear your throat. So, first question: When was the first ever latex ball? which is an iconic event within the ballroom scene that aims to raise HIV awareness. Was it 1980, 1990, or 2000? Let's start with you, Jared. Hmm. 90? Okay, you say 90. <laughs> 90. Okay. 90. Um, I'm going to say, because I, I don't know how the history of the latex ball, but I, I don't know why I feel like it's newer for some reason. Maybe sure, going I'm going to say 2000. Okay. Well, you're wrong. <laughs> 1990. You got happy yeah. about that. So, no, I was just happy to give some clarity to the situation. <laughs> oh, she's so, nasty. 1990, um, latex ball actually just happened last week or a couple days ago, actually. So, um, if you didn't mm. get to it this year, try again for 2024. Came in mm. health crisis. That's why I thought 90. Because <laughs> I was like, 80 is too early. 2000 feels yeah. late for them to be there right. yet. Oh, look at you using little mm. context clues mm. and things. Hello? Mm. All right, now. Mm-hmm. Don't tempt me with a good trivia time. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Next question. 
Which actress made history as the first openly transgender woman to be nominated for an Emmy Award? Is it A, Janet Mock, B, Laverne Cox, or C, Angelica Ross? Let's Wait, start go somebody else you. first. I got to think. <laughs> Wait, the, the first, re- repeat the question? The first openly transgender woman to be nominated for an Emmy Award. Okay. Well, Laver- I think it might be Laverne Cox, huh? It's Laverne well, Cox. Well, you got to ask Laverne. Let's see. So was, two for Laverne. I said Laverne. Uh, yeah, I was going to say Laverne as well. Okay, I made that easy. Yes. <laughs> 2014, Laverne Cox. Yes. New black made history. She's the first nominated. Now, first nominated. bonus, who was the first <laughs> transgender <laughs> woman to actually win? No one. Michaela J? No one. Oh, what did she win? A Golden Globe. Win. Oh. <laughs> to win. Period. <laughs> to bonus. Win. Still to bonus. Win <laughs> Still bonus. Speak on, move on. <laughs> All right. Who did she win? Nothing. <laughs> no. <laughs> she, she won a Golden Globe. <laughs> Yes. Okay. Um, <laughs> all right. Next question. So we all know Sizzle. Do we know yeah, Sizzle? Miami, yeah, Miami. Yeah. All right. Like, oh. I thought you said Sizzle too. At first. I was like, yeah, I know Sizzle. 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 An annual event that combined parties, cultural celebrations, and entertainment for the Black and queer community. What was their tagline? Was it A, embrace your Sizzle? <laughs> B, love is Sizzle. Or C, feel the Sizzle. I hope it was filled the sizzle. I hope it was, yeah, filled the sizzle too. Oh, okay. Oh, Did I make that too easy? It was filled the sizzle. Was, <laughs> okay. You, I was you just should be right tagline. Tag <laughs> oh, I was just like, woo. Okay. Um, next question. Which city was Lee Daniels born and raised in? Was it A, Philadelphia, B, New York City, or C, Chicago? I'm from Chicago. I'm going to say Chicago just because Chicago. it's fun. You think that's how the we shy. all talk? <laughs> I'm, I'm from Chicago. That is how they sound, too. Oh, is it? Yeah. Let me talk to Lena about that. <laughs> <laughs> um, Philly? Yeah, I was going to say Philly, too. Okay, ding, ding, ding. Yay. Oh, you were wrong. Philadelphia. No, I just... <laughs> no, I knew that. I was You're happy for facts. Yeah. Just happy for yes. information. Yes. Period. <laughs> all right. The last question. Which iconic black lesbian feminist coined the term intersectionality? Is it A, Audre Lorde, B, Angela Davis, or C, Kimberlé Crenshaw? Mm. Don't take too long. A, the you say Lord? You say Audre Lorde. I'm like, what Kimberlé? Those the third one. You say Kimberlé. Crenshaw? What was um the middle? Angela Davis. Davis. I'm going to say Angela. Bassett. No, he did the dance. <laughs> Angela Davis did the thing. <laughs> well, she didn't do that one. Uh, so Kimberly is the correct answer. Uh, intersectionality was coined in 1989 oh, okay. as a term to obviously explain the intersection of different identities. So the final question is for you, Jared, and you can answer this however you would like. Just me? Just you. What are you okay. curious about? I'm curious as to how, like, having the conversation around mental health with black people, like, how that will progress. Like, will black people become more open to, like, taking depression medication if that's what you need? Like, not just mm-hmm. doing, like, bare bones going to therapy. Because, like, that's important. But I feel like a lot of people go to therapy. Like, if you need something past that, like, is that something we will see continue? Because I feel like we're in a space right now where mental health is kind of like a buzzword thing. Mm-hmm. And I want to see people, like, really, like, dig into it and, like, figure out what mental health means for them. Yeah. Okay. Well, we're going to get into a couple that things. That sounds like a campaign. 
<laughs> what does mental health mean to, to you? you? Oh. There you go. You always got that marketing hat on. No. Yeah. <laughs> Let Tony write the tag. Adjust my crown. <laughs> all right. So um, the first question that um, I want us all to answer is this. Um, I think a lot of people can sort of trace back the beginning of their mental health journey to a specific mm-hmm. life event. Um, I want to know if we can all share, if it applies to us, what life event sort of made us take that step and really invest into our mental health. Uh, Jared, let's start with you. Uh, I mean, honestly, it was like, it was fairly recent. Within the last few years, um, I had a roommate when I lived in Harlem. I lived for about three years. And then about three weeks after we moved out, I moved to D.C., he moved to Atlanta. He um, took his own life. And like... I was already somewhat comfortable with the conversation around mental health, but when he died, it was like, you got to face this shit. Like, you got to really, like, look in the mirror and figure it out, because I've had my own suicide ideations. And when he passed away, it was like, you got to really, like, dig into this and figure out what that means for you. And, like, that was shortly after that, I started talking on social media about mental health. Um, But that was, like, the catalyst that, like, pushed it ahead. Because I was comfortable with it, but in my own bubble, in my own world. Like, I wouldn't talk about it to other people. I just, like, dealt with it on my own. And I remember after he passed, like, feeling a little bit guilty because I didn't talk to him about it. And I also didn't know he was struggling with it. But, like, we could have been some type of something for each other, you know? But I kind of kept it to myself. But, like, it really did kind of push me in a totally different direction with mental health. When you when you started that experience, like, what was that like? I'm assuming that you hadn't really done any, like big investments in mental health prior to that um but like what was that experience like was it did it take you a while to get like used to it did it feel immediately like cathartic like it was a release it was scary uh i was on anxiety depression medication prior to that but it was like even though i knew i had it and i was taking medication for it i didn't really admit it like i wouldn't say i'm depressed or i struggle with depression i would be like i'm just like low or i feel sad even with me taking the medication so it was a little scary it's tough to admit that that kind of thing to yourself um but i also felt like after he passed it was something that i needed to do like even when i started talking on social media it was like you gotta stop acting like this isn't a thing you gotta Mm -hmm. stop like burying it at the back of your head and like talk about it like Mm -hmm. whatever that that is for you like i know a lot of people might not be that comfortable doing that but i felt like it was something i needed to do because i don't know i feel like i was going crazy and if i didn't like get it out i really don't know what the outcome would have been and that scared me that if i didn't Mm -hmm. talk about it Mm -hmm. i don't know what the outcome would have would have been so that was a a wake-up call yeah it was just to be like it was it really was yeah Mm. Interesting. You know, it made me think about how Oprah Winfrey says, you know, when um, God is sending you messages, they start as like whispers and right. and then it gets louder and louder and louder until mm-hmm. like the house is like right. crashing down. Yeah. Um, that's what that's what it made me think of. But it's, you know, those wake up calls, um, we have to listen to that. Right. Because it could literally save your life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, because it was whispers at first and I would ignore it. And then life was like. Bitch, I said, like, pay attention. <laughs> I like, oh, shit, okay, all right, yeah, yeah. But, like, it, it took that. And I feel mm-hmm. like even though everything that happened in that period of my life was super fucking crazy, it all needed to happen because I don't think – I wouldn't even be here talking to y'all right now for a variety of different reasons. I might not physically even be here right now if I mm-hmm. hadn't had that happen to me. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, for me personally that that life 
moment that made me want to sort of explore my mental health and things of that nature also came recently. Um, and it actually was this platform doing this podcast, doing surface level. Um, this was the life event that kind of made me want to explore more of who I am and learn more of learn more about myself. Uh, and because it provided a platform for me to say the things out loud mm-hmm. that I never really would say out loud and never had a, a reason to do so in such a way. And so really, you know, talking about my status and being HIV positive, once I did that, it was like I released um, the fear and I got to the other side of fear. And then I was able to, you know, really feel free like do the and yeah. and yeah. also feel like, okay, well, there's nothing I can't right. do now. Mm-hmm. And that made me really curious about finding out more of who I am and how I move. And so, you know, thank, thank God for so surface you, level. So you were like <laughs> inspired by the possibilities. Like you had a positive yeah. experience of sort of releasing something that you held so close to yourself. And after you had that, I guess that feedback or that reaction or that experience, it was like, maybe I can actually do this in other parts of my right. life. Exactly. It was such an unlock to you know when it's like having a a, being in a room full of rooms if you will Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and all the doors are locked and you unlock this one door that opens up all the rest of them that's Mm -hmm. what it felt like for me right that freeing feeling there's nothing like that like Mm -hmm. it's like a weight on your shoulders and then to just talk about it especially in like such a like public platform but like it's good like for Mm -hmm. me talking about it at such like a large level like really helped me to feel like shit I can do anything now like (laughs) within reason but like I can do anything (laughs) now like it really does like make you feel like getting that off your chest talking about it makes you feel I don't know invincible it's it's a great feeling Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. how about you Um, I I was I've talked about a relationship I was in previously in my life that became abusive Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of it was happening behind closed doors and I didn't talk about it like even to you all until after it was over and and part of that experience is like what like I I remember being in this place of just like sheer confusion um I say a lot of times in my life if nothing else I'm decisive like rarely am I ever just like they're like Damon what do you want to do Damon what like what do you think is the thing and I'm like this this is what I think is right and then like when you all work with me you're like I'm like I like this. Like, I'm, I'm very clear 90% of the time. And I remember being in this place and I was just like, I feel like I'm spinning. And I feel like I'm like, uh, I can't grasp hold of just like the thing that like centers me. And like mm-hmm. when, you, when you're trying to go home and have peace um, and have relation, I'm just like, so many things are happening. We're up, we're down, we're everywhere. And like, and, and I, I didn't have anybody to talk to about it. Like, I, or at least I didn't feel like I could talk to people about it because there's like shame that like, how for those times I was thinking, well, how do you let yourself end up in this situation and all these things? And I remember going, how did, I, how did you? You're asking yourself, how did I get here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I remember going to therapy, and I, and I remember talking for the first time. I was like, wow, the the thing that I like have liked most about that journey for me is just it's one of the few places that exists purely for me. Yeah. Um, and just purely even without um, how do I say this? Like um, I'm just gonna say it flat out, but like without the thoughtfulness of like what other people are going to think about what I have mm-hmm. to say. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. even if I'm talking to a friend, 
Um, there, there's a level of like care that maybe you put into a conversation where it's just like, you a professional. I'm blurting it out. This, right. this is what it. This You're is what's happening in my there to exactly. process, help Ex- you process exactly. those together. Yeah. Versus just like <laughs> there are certain things where like. I don't know, like if I'm going through something and I know it's a trigger for you or or I know that it like makes you uncomfortable, like maybe I don't bring it like as, as honestly and as raw as I would like to. Um, and that experience, it was something that I had to take somewhere where I was just like, I don't have this answer. Yeah. Um, I can't find the path for myself. Um, and there was just a lot of getting back to the value of me and and just the 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 experience of not of understanding that like i couldn't fix a thing um, yeah so yeah that that for me a few however many years ago was the thing where i was just like mm, something has to change yeah i'm i'm kind of in a similar boat where my mental health journey started because i was in a relationship where i felt like i was failing my partner um i i wasn't proud of some of the decisions that i made throughout the um relationship and i And if I could be completely candid, I think that my decision to go into therapy was, I mean, partly wanting to understand myself, but also partly kind of performative. Like Mm. I wanted to um, prove to my partner that I was actively making strides to um, be a better partner and be able Mm. to show up in a better way. Um, And so going into that experience, you know, with that, mission of wanting to work on the relationship was actually funny because the very first session I broke down in tears and it was about family and it was about Mm -hmm. like childhood and all these things that I packed away. And so my experience, um, with mental health took a, like a, I guess, a, a unexpected turn because I thought I was going to go in there like, okay, well tell me how to be a better boyfriend. Mm -hmm. When really it was just like I was starting to understand like why I react to things a certain way, like why I um, don't engage in conflict, why I keep things bottled up. Um, And so that experience was really illuminating because I don't think that I sat with those thoughts and investigated interrogated those thoughts enough on my own Mm -hmm. it was something really valuable about having somebody asking the right questions and me being like well damn like i don't know i don't think i care about that and then i started talking about it i was like wait i actually do care about it Mm because now i'm crying Um, (laughs) (laughs) it was was, i was actually very embarrassed i was like i'm sorry i don't know why he's like you don't have to apologize i was like i don't think i was supposed to cry when i first met you like i'm not like this um but obviously that's that's the the point that's the thing (laughs) right right that's what you're getting ready to say is you 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 get to have that experience, um, so <laughs> you that that was all locked in, and I'm glad that you were able to just have that for yourself mm-hmm. and like understand that there are things that I, you actually do care more about than you think. Right. right, and I mean the whole the whole journey so far has been an unlock. So this next question is more around like, what have you unlocked about yourself? And like through your mental health journey, whether that be uh, through a therapist or whatever other measure, but like, what did you learn about yourself that you would consider is not really a healthy way to operate? Um, And how are you actively working on that today? Uh, Damon, I'll start with you. You know, the the thing that I've learned a lot about, actually, my recent therapy is my, um, my desire to empathize with someone is um, much less important than the the act of just 
believing them when they say something. Um, and I say that because a lot of how I viewed interaction and um, like if I'm like if I'm with my partner, a lot of it is through the lens of um, they said this thing about their life. How does that relate to my life? What are the things that that I've been through that makes me kind of relate? And you get through this thing where it becomes less about what they're saying to you and understanding that and hearing it and believing it and more about centering my own experiences, my own biases and my own like points of view. Um, and I think it was coming from a good place of trying to make you feel like I'm being understanding or just make people feel like I, I get it. And and I think what is what I'm finding is more important is just to be a better listener um, and 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 just like get to like the honesty and the core of like this person and what they're communicating. Um, and for me, that's just been a, 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 a tool that I feel like I'm trying to sharpen a bit more. Um, but yeah, it, it's just like, I'm listening to like, understand versus listening to like, uh, just like center your own experiences is the thing that I was just like, Hmm, I guess I was doing that. Mm. Um, and maybe it wasn't the best thing. Mm. Tony. Um, I think the, the revelation for me is that nine times out of 10, I already had the answer. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And that's the revelation. It's just that, like a lot of times, you already have uh, you you already have the information. And like you said, Jordan, earlier, it's about having someone that asks you the right questions for you to like get to the, to arrive to mm -hmm. that conclusion yourself. Mm -hmm. And so, audibly saying the things out loud and talking through my thoughts really helped me to actually like get to that end result of like okay now this makes sense i i understand and so that was the, the part of also discovering like the unhealthy behavior was that i get in my own way a lot of times you know we are our own biggest critics we will talk ourselves out of mm -hmm. a good thing <laughs> <laughs> and that to me is also revelatory. It's like if I get if I can get out of my own way, then and only then will I be able to do amazing things um, that that I'm capable of. And so, you know, I constantly have to remind myself that I I have this information. Mm -hmm. And so it's it's not you know having the information is one thing, but having the information and actively being aware so that you can navigate life differently is another thing. And so mm -hmm. I try to do that as much as I can. Listen, you, you, you've been inspired from the moment that you started this journey. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I'm the one. That's what I've been learning. Not the two. Um, in term, like, I feel like I, I talk about this so much, but um, I feel like for me, an uh, unhealthy thing that I learned about myself was that... Um, my defense mechanism of detaching from people who I have conflict yeah. with was not serving me. Mm. And so I remember there was one exercise where my therapist wanted me to write a letter to my father. And I had that homework for like three months. Like he would ask me every week, like, did you write the letter? I'm like, no, no, no. And for me, um, even though I feel like I've gotten better with 
having uncomfortable conversations is still terrifying for me to initiate them. Mm. Like if someone comes to me and say, I have this problem, like, yeah, I'll be nervous, but like, I'll do it. Cause I'm already here. I'm already in the, in the frying pan. So like, where are you going? <laughs> She's but if it's up to me and I'm, and, 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 I, and I'm in my mind about like, well, what am I going to say? And how am I going to present it? And I like for a very long time, I associated conflict with like disillusion of relationships. Mm. And so I thought that, preserving them meant not adding the strain of conflict mm -hmm. on top of it. And um, yeah, I think that what I learned from, um, from, from that going forward is that um, I just need to do a little bit more work preparing for those conversations. I think a lot, like I'm not one of those just like off the cuff, speak from your heart type of person. A lot of times that kind of makes me nervous. I have to figure out what I want to say. Um, and figure out what part is ego, what part is like not on topic, which like and just filter through that and be able to have a, a conversation that I feel like is going to be helpful. Um, but yeah, that's been that's still like an ongoing thing for me. I feel like when I'm dealing with disappointments in my relationships, my my thought or my like my thought process is to put the thing that's not making me happy over there somewhere where I can't see it and then mm -hmm. distract myself with the things that are currently making me happy um, so that I can in the, in the near future feel better. Um, but yeah, my, my therapist got me together <laughs> and was just like, no, like he started working through scripts with me to be able mm -hmm. to start having conversations with people. So yeah, I thought it was, I thought it was a serve to be nonchalant. And, um, <laughs> it's not. <laughs> <laughs> What about um, you, Jared? That is, I'm tickled by that. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a serve. It's not a serve. Uh, I think one of the things I learned about myself is that I hold on to a lot of shit. Like, I grew up in Louisiana. My parents are, like, mad churchy. Um, so being gay didn't go over too well. Uh, and, like, me and my dad used to go at it to the point, like, it would get physical. Um, and at the time when those things would happen, I looked at it as, like, it's unfortunate, but this is just what happened. I didn't really process it or think about it. So, like, fast forward, like, 10 years later when I'm in my 20s, and, like, I can't really date. I can't keep a man because, like, that, like, anger and resentment keeps showing up. Um, and then I started going to therapy, and it started to become a little bit more apparent. It's like, sweetheart, you are not over this. You keep telling yourself that you are, and you think that you're fine. It's like, oh, this is unfortunate, but I'm fine now. It's like, but you're not. Mm -hmm. Like, it keeps coming up in all these different ways. And, like, um... I discovered that, like, I was really angry. Like, just, you could say good morning to me. I'd be like, bitch, fuck you. Like, I was just angry about everything. And it kept surfacing up all the time. And it was tough to um, kind of go back and relive those things. Because, you know, in order to move on, you kind of got to rehash it and go back through it again. Mm -hmm. And yeah. I didn't want to. That shit, I didn't want to go through it the first time. I definitely don't right. want to, you know, do it again. But mm -hmm. um, I had to. It was the only way I was going to move on from it. But... You gotta go through it to get through it. You do. Mm -hmm. You gotta that's the only way through. Um and it has helped me, but like I, I still have my moments where like I, I mentioned dating, like it still comes up a lot when it's when you start trying to get close to another man. Mm -hmm. It just like it starts to bubble up again and now I'll be like, Dad, stop it, you're doing it again. But like it's really hard when you've been conditioned over like that was what love looked like to me with another guy. And so like trying to work through all of that has been really tough and it was similar when I first started going to my therapist. I, w I came in about something else, and then we started talking about my family, too. And I'm like, boo-hoo crying. Now, I don't mind crying because 
whatever. But like <laughs> I started crying and like having not having a breakdown, but like just being really open. And I realized in that moment, I was like, oh shit, I am not over these things. Like I thought I was fine, but right, clearly I'm not. Yeah. But it's it's like you need to go through that in order to get better. Hundred mm. percent. Yeah. I was just thinking. <laughs> no, I, no. Sometimes I, I like to think in real time. Yeah. But no. But uh, keep me moving forward. Um, like with therapy and these things becoming more, let's say, mainstream or just more recognizable within our communities. Sometimes, do you think it's fair um, if members of the community refuse friendships or relationships with those who haven't either received therapy? Um, also, considering all the barriers that still exist, therapy sometimes mm-hmm. is fucking expensive. Right. Um. So like. Tony, let's start. Do you think that's a fair assessment to make? Well, let's start with okay. <laughs> oh, it's not the facts, <laughs> because the HumanRightsCampaign.com they say that the truth <laughs> is that mental health challenges in the LGBTQ plus community are largely due to stigma, discrimination, and bias in all forms. However, LGBTQ plus people also face gaps in health insurance coverage. So similar to like you're talking about mm-hmm. the money aspect of it, the financial. And in the United States, 18% of the LGBTQ plus adults of color have no health insurance coverage compared to 8% of all adults. So that those statistics are very jarring. And just the, the whole sentiment of what's being said there kind of aligns to like what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I say that people have the free will to choose and select their friends based on whatever criteria they want. But, you know, at, I think, how does that serve you is what I go back to. And I think it's unfortunate if you try to like say you can't certain people, I won't allow myself to be, to have build relationships with because they haven't been to therapy. Um, When we know that therapy is a privilege, we know that therapy is expensive, we know that therapy has been stigmatized. And in the black community, like you hear about, like people always say, quote unquote, therapy is for crazy people, Mm -hmm. or I ain't paying nobody to tell me about me. (laughs) So like I've had people say that and people that I'm close with in my family that are like, therapy is like, that's a waste of money. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like it's it's such a, it's, it's, it's a, one, it's a thing in our community, in the black community, not even just black, the queer community, but really the black community that I think there's more work to be done with destigmatizing therapy, with mm-hmm. um, affirming it, you know, with encouraging it, with mm-hmm. saying it's okay. We need to talk about our feelings. We're always here with the cl- right. Like, there's so many mm-hmm. family secrets. It's like, bitch, what? Right. Like, right. <laughs> the family secrets go off. Oh, my God. Go it's, a, it's the gag right. of it all is really, yeah. it's the gag awards. It really is. Like, you sit there and you're just like, all these years, but like, I have, I've had my own. Not Well, I guess, uh, I don't know if it's a secret, but like me not talking about my HIV status for years, you know? Like, mm-hmm. that. that's a gag, too. Um, and you should be able to talk about these things with um your family and feel feel comfortable and safe to do so, but we just mm-hmm. that's not in our DNA. Yeah. yeah, it's not. I mean, I do not think it's fair to discriminate um, like friendships and like potential booze because they didn't go to therapy. I think that therapy is becoming this like 
social status. It is. Yeah, I'm like, it's very classist. It's yeah. just a classist. Yeah. Something people brag about now. Like, exactly. Right like you, <laughs> exactly. Right. And it's just like, sometimes I'm just like, are you even doing any work right, in those exactly. therapy sessions? And so, yeah. Like I, you I, said performative earlier. Right. Exactly. And I, I have to assume that there's some people that are going to therapy and maybe not even really like really going through it mm-hmm. and really being open um which you know is part of it as well you don't just show up and a therapist can fix you Mm -hmm. um but you know i do think that it's fair um to limit your friendships and your dating pool to people who are actively doing inner work right yes and so does that mean that you have to do a 300 an hour therapy session no what that means is that you have a desire to learn about yourself and the world around you um maybe you meditate um maybe you spend a lot of time educating yourself with like different like documentaries and things like that i just need to know that you are trying to make sense of what is going on with you and the world around you um if you are somebody who is spending the majority of your time just consuming entertainment and sort of not looking inward or not looking at like you know history and how history can inform us and how we operate today then there's going to be inevitably there's going to be a disconnect and we're not going to be able to grow in the same direction because you're not going to be able to show up for me in the way that i need you to as a friend or as a partner so yeah like not fair for the therapy thing at this point Mm -hmm. it's it's kind of like a a gold star for some people Mm -hmm. um but inner work is a non fucking negotiable mm-hmm. for me um you need to be trying to figure some stuff out and trying to figure it out and work through it um and you can do that for free or low cost um if you if you care enough no yeah i mean i agree like you gotta at least be trying to better yourself you know like yeah everybody doesn't have access to therapy <laughs> it can be expensive as fuck but like you gotta at least be trying to make the effort to be a better version of yourself because yeah, like you'll see your relationships continue to play out the same way if you don't. I'm um was laughing for a second because I re- I remember someone that we know said out loud that they are not a work in progress. <laughs> <laughs> they're just they're fine. They, they're, they, they're, they're, they're like, like I'm not a work in progress. Perfect patty. And it was such an interesting. Like it definitely gagged back me. and forth. They were like, "I'm not a work in progress," and I was like, "What?" I didn't know what I'm to do with the conversation. A work in <laughs> I was just I like, "I can't." But well, child, that, that's that's a red flag. <laughs> <laughs> that's a red flag, and I don't believe in red flags. Um, all right, so Jerry, as someone who's kind of built um, a presence online, speaking about your journey, um, we just want to say, so mental health resources have um, become more accessible mainly thanks to uh, largely to social media. Mm-hmm. However, a study published by the Journal of Medical Internet Research in 2018 found that 43% of social media posts related to mental health contain inaccurate information. So how um, are you approaching uh, mental health a- advocacy with the level of nuance and care that it deserves? Well, first of all, I am not a therapist. I'm not a psychiatrist. I'm a life coach. I'm just like Jared. Yeah. Um, but just Jared. I, Yes. Right. Like, that sounds familiar. Just, just myself. <laughs> um, but, like, I approach them just telling my personal stories. Like, I get on there and I talk about my depression. I talk about anxiety. I talk about su- substance abuse. I don't go on there trying to fix your life. Like, I'm not mm-hmm. Ayana. I'm not Mother Teresa. Like, I just talk about the things that I've gone through. And I feel like that's why a lot of people have resonated with what I'm saying because it's real life shit. 
Like a lot of us feel like we're going crazy. None of us have it figured out. Like we're all doing the best we can. But a lot of us like hold those things very tight. Like how you said with, with HIV. Like we don't talk openly about that because like either there's shame associated with it or people gonna think I'm fucking crazy. Cause like when I first started doing it, I would literally post the things and I would put my phone away because I was like, Lord Jesus, they're gonna talk about me so bad. Mm. But I did it anyway because I felt like I had to. But um I just talk about my own personal stuff. Yeah. And I feel like people connect more with that versus me being someone who and this is no shade to anybody who went to college, but like reading it off of a piece of paper and mm-hmm. like, you need to do A, B, and C. Well, I'm not going to tell you to do shit. You do whatever you feel is best, but this is what happened to me. And this is how I dealt with it. And yeah. this is what I'm going through right now. And if you can mm-hmm. identify with that, great. And if you can't, that's fine too. It's not for everybody. Yeah. But that's my personal experience. And I, it has helped people. I've had, I've had family members. There was one family member in particular that came to me and said that she had been taking depression medication for 12 years, and she never told me that until she saw my social mm-hmm. media videos. Mm-hmm. Um, so I like I just try to be authentic and my real self, and if it lands, it lands. And if it yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a personal fine. connection there that adds a layer of um, that, that, connectivity. that yeah connectivity that's important, mm-hmm. and I, that made me think though of. For for you specifically, like and going back to the performative thing, do you do you experience any backlash from people where they're like, "Oh, here he go again"? Like, do that people think that you just tap dance and doing a song and think song and dance around mental health and advocacy, and it's all a to do? Like, do you get any backlash? Mm, well, you know, it's social media, so people <laughs> say a lot of things. They yeah. always have their opinions. I mean, I got mine too, but they have their opinions. I've had some people say some awful things to me. Uh, I just kind of choose to ignore it. Good. Um, I have had some people that will say like, oh, it's like a tap dance. But I'm like, you are entitled to feel however, however you feel like feeling. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't give mm-hmm. a fuck, but like, you're entitled to feel that way. But I'm um, like, I know that it's genuine. I know that it's real. And I know that it is helping people because I will have, I've had people like, I live on 8th Street in DC. I've had people stop me on the street be like, I saw your videos. I'm like, you're the dude with the signs that's be on your roof all the time. And like, it's helped me feel like this and this and that. Um, so even mm-hmm. when people do say crazy stuff to me, it balances out with like yeah. people that like, feel like it's actually helped them or allow them to be more open because that's not easy. Yeah. Like, yeah. Going online, like, I've had these thoughts before. I'm like, God, I'm never going to get a boyfriend because, like, I'm so open about this and everyone's going to think I'm nuts. But, like, I also feel like, well, it's on the table now, so you choose to deal with (laughs) it or not. Like, you know what's happening. If you want to deal with it, that's fine. If you don't, that's fine, too. Look at the Carfax. And I think Mm -hmm. as particularly black queer people, we have to think about the whole picture. Like, if Tony, we were talking about the stigma and things around it. Stigma is something that, is kind of uh, taken away from like our own community, See, seeing the possibility model, seeing that like, hey, I'm not alone in the world. And it's less connected maybe to like actually going to a health professional. Like that's mm-hmm. another piece of it. And I think all these building blocks are the things that like build a better mental health like collective. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that's where it's important to say like, you like, Hey, I'm not, I'm not a doctor. That's not what I'm here to do. Mm-hmm. What I'm here to do is share so that hopefully you feel a little bit more seen what I'm here to, exactly. and it's kind of what we try and do on our show is just like, I'm not a professional. Right. I'm just like, I can just tell you how I lived, mm-hmm. what I, what, where it brought me and there are maybe nuggets that align with your life and you can pick that up. But Hey, don't go, go do no shit at work and say DeMond told you now. Right, exactly. And I think that, and that's the, the balance. No, it's, it's really important. You mentioned something about like, you don't try to be instructional um, with your content. That's something that stuck out to me too. Cause I don't know if you remember DeMond, but we had a conversation, three of us, like 
I don't know, months ago or something like that, we were considering having a uh, conversation about relationship advice. And I remember your feedback mm-hmm. being, well, I want to be very careful with that because who are we to give advice? Mm-hmm. And that really stuck with me because I'm like, that's what's required mm-hmm. to have a responsible platform, right? Mm-hmm. Like when we're talking, and this is about relationships, we're talking about mental health now, which is even more on the on mm-hmm. the line, if right. you will. But like, we are psychologists, we are psychiatrists, we are neuroscientists. Mm-hmm. I believe in science. <laughs> and so Listen. I believe the people, like I, we can't give instruction <laughs> until we've been students. Mm-hmm. And so I think that that is like, like that is so important because I'm seeing the rise of younger adults and younger younger teens and things like that self-diagnosing themselves mm-hmm. at a yeah. higher rate because they have so much access to mm-hmm. Instagram carousels and TikToks with people from down the street who want to talk yeah. about ADHD. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's not helpful yeah. because Listen, when people like, misdiagnose themselves they may end up doing things that's right, not really right. going to treat what they actually are probably experiencing they're adding names and labels to things that don't mm-hmm. apply to them mm-hmm. and could be harming the community that is right. a part of that community and so yeah if you're not an expert listen right tell your story mm-hmm. with mental health yeah. but also um, it's giving you like you literally don't have a license at all. <laughs> to, do, exactly. to do any of this. No right. credentials. Exactly. Not, nothing. <laughs> nothing. Just but, an email address. Just an email <laughs> address. Not even, <laughs> not even that. Just a DM. <laughs> they don't even have email addresses. Ain't no, just a link tree. <laughs> <laughs> Y'all better stop. But a, a, a moment ago, Jared talked about putting it all on the table and showing your cards and like we're we're not perfect human mm-hmm. beings. And so last week we actually discussed the idea of black excellence and the negative mental impact of constantly feeling the need to prove our worth and value. So what mental health practices do we utilize to improve our self-image and self-worth? So this is a little bit of homework for us and also for our listeners. I mean, one of the places this shows up for me the most is at work because I come from very humble beginnings. I am from the hood and I didn't have a lot of knowledge of how corporate America worked. So I felt like I had to like do everything and be everything. And I would like make myself um, so anxious, like trying to keep up this whole black excellence thing. And like Mm -hmm. I was also the only one. So if I messed up, it stood out. Um, But I was kind of making myself a little bit crazy. Uh, but I, one thing I do for myself that really does help me is I will read my resume to myself. Like, sometimes you have to remind yourself who the fuck you are. Like, yes. you can get very insecure and like, oh, shit, like, I can't do this. I can't do that. It's like, bitch, you have done A, B, C, D, E, F, and G. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> like, yeah. you can do this, too? Yeah. And I have to say that to myself. I, I sound crazy, but I will look in the mirror and I'll be like, you got this. You can do this. Like, mm-hmm. you've done all of these things. Like, what are you even talking about right now? But, like, sometimes you have to. And it helps me. Like, substantially, especially when I start to feel low. And, again, when I'm talking about work and I'm just trying to keep up with everything, it's like, girl, you done done this before. You can do it again. Like, come on now. Come on. Yeah. Yes. You know, that's, it's funny you say that because it's like the positive affirmations and the, the pep talks that we give ourselves. Mm-hmm. Like, that is so valuable and important. And we have to be our biggest cheerleaders. We have to give ourselves those constant reminders. And also just trying to to make sure that the the content I consume and take in 
add some value. Like, yes, we're going to have our escapism and we're going to watch our housewives and we're going to laugh at the stuff on the shade room and stuff like that. But then we also have, we follow the Jareds of the world that are putting out, you know, <laughs> positivity and, and also just information and nuggets and showing, revealing yourself, which is a possibility model for others. Like we've been talking about this whole time to now reveal ourselves and what's our truth and really figuring out what's mental health to you. Come on now. Come on, Gail. Um, You know, I think what I do to sort of, and this is very recent, that I started doing to reaffirm my self worth has been um, resting. Yes, ma'am. That's important. And so I think that even from like a very young child, Mm -hmm. I always felt like I had to overcompensate because I was gay. Because I didn't mm-hmm. play a sport and I wasn't an athlete, and so the family didn't really go up for me as much mm-hmm. as they did for the boys' boys who were star athletes. And so, at a very young age, I learned that by overachieving and other things meant validation, meant acceptance, meant being celebrated. And I think that that has stuck with me through my entire life. But I'm finally at this juncture right now where it's just like a little bit too much going on mm-hmm. between managing a day job, managing a podcast, a platform that's growing, that requires more of my attention, um, understanding that like my friends are getting older and we're dealing with more serious things that people need to be like present for. Mm-hmm. And it's like you need to like just stop and put the phone away, close the mm-hmm. laptop. Mm. lay on the couch, just watch something. And then I think for me, what it's telling myself is that even when I'm not doing anything, yep. even when I'm not producing or creating or socializing or networking, that I still mm-hmm. deserve to be happy in right. that moment. And so that's actually helped me feel just more whole and less of just like a person that produces mm-hmm. something that makes other people happy. Um, and so that's helped me just sort of like be a lot more confident in setting even more boundaries, but it's something that I'm still working through because I still jam pack this schedule, trying to make sure that like I'm doing the work thing, I'm doing the podcast thing. I'm making time for this person that I just Mm -hmm. met that I feel like, you know, we could have a really great, like maybe friendship, maybe like business relationship. And it's just, listen, Jordan Jordan Moonlight as an event planner. Of just oh, oh the jack of every trade. <laughs> I just want to lay down. So Sundays have been nice. Sundays have been I love nice. Sundays. People always try to, what are you doing Sunday? Not, nothing. Right. Exactly. Why? why? I'm doing nothing. Stop asking me that. I'm watching my soaps. <laughs> Not my soaps. My stories. <laughs> yes, that's what, that's what I meant to my say. My stories. Thank you for getting me together. <laughs> um, you know, the thing, it, this is, it's odd to say it this way, but the thing that has made me... Um, like feel more worthy is just like being realistic about when I'm down or at capacity. Yes. Um, and, and um, what I mean is like in, in even, even like work, like I, I remember like this, the past few weeks I had um, some tough things happen. Like I had some deaths in my family and just like a lot of things were happening in my life. And we talk a lot. People are always like bring your full self to work. And I, I, I've, I've talked about this before. How I had a lot of things happen. My dad had three years ago. It's so like three or so years ago at work. And I was like at work, and I'm still perfect. You know nothing's wrong. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, I'll never do that to myself again. Mm-hmm. Um, because I, I deserve to be a person that is going through something and may feel a bit broken right mm-hmm. now and should be able to communicate. Hey, I can't do this. And I remember, 
I came in, I had uh, gone to Chicago for the weekend to go to her funeral, and I came back in on, like, Tuesday after flying back Monday. And I was having a meeting with my, my, like, my boss as well, my head of merch, and she's just like, okay, where are we on these things? I was like, I got part of this, and I don't have this because, and I I was like, I'm not, I'm giving you the best that I have right now because this is where I am in my life. These things are happening. Mm -hmm. I will get to these things eventually, but I'm not going to, drive myself nuts and like overexert myself in this moment to do it for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I learned like, not even just luckily, but like she's a person that is understanding. And one of the people I've respected most of many of the people I've worked for. Um, and I just remember leaving that feeling good for me feeling like that. I'm just like, Ooh. there's so many things I can do. And I'm just like, but it, and like feeling like motivating me, it doesn't always mean like I found the happy thing that motivates me to do more. Sometimes it means I found the confidence to just be like less. Just right. to, that's, that's about me right now. Yeah. And unfortunately me focusing on me is not going to benefit you right now yeah. in this moment. And you need to be okay with that. And that's the net net on that period. Drop the mic. <laughs> Drop the mic. Drop it and throw it across the room. <laughs> well, throw it across. Please don't start tearing the studio up. No, we can't take. Now she a rock star. <laughs> out of the desk. I might crowd surf later. Oh my god! Who's Curry? Three of y'all. Anywho, let me bring it on back. Bring <laughs> it on back. So we want to thank you, Jared, for sharing this space with us. This has been. A wonderful conversation. Um, I, it's an ongoing conversation mm-hmm. and one that we hope people will continue um, that are listening to this conversation. So we want to thank you and we would like you to um, just share with people how they can find you. Um, if there's anything going on with work that you want to share, just or any information, resources, what have you, um, please do so. Well, thank you all for having me. This has <laughs> been really fun. Um, I'm on Instagram at Jared.Denzel. That's Jared with two R's. Um, you know, I, I t- I'm taking things as it comes. Like, this was really cool. As things pop up, I enjoy doing it. I feel very blessed to be doing all the things I'm doing because I never thought I would be doing any of this stuff. It's weird that, like, people are interested in what I have to say. Um, but I think one thing if you take away from anything I said is that we're all a little bit fucked up. Mm-hmm. It's okay to admit that. It's okay to, like, like you just said, like, have your moments where you may like, this is where I'm at right now. And that's okay. Like, it's okay mm-hmm. if you're not 100% together. Um, and just navigate that wh- however it's best for you. But continue to work on yourself. Yes. And on that note, that is all the time we have this week. If you enjoyed this episode, let's keep the conversation going. Let us know your thoughts and questions at surfacelevelpodcast.com. And remember, stay curious. <laughs>